Well, good evening, everybody. Can we start with some prayer? Father God, we're thankful and we're grateful for the life that you have blessed us with, the stewardship you have given us over your gifts that you've placed within us. Father, we thank you that the spirit of fear is broken, it's destroyed, the bonds and the chains are unfettered, they're broken in the name, above every name, the name of Jesus. Father God, we loose the spirit of the living God in this place tonight. I decrease so that you may increase, Father. Have your way in your people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me preface this message tonight and let me tell you that at the end, there's going to be a call to action. And I want you to be thinking about this. When there's a call to action, there's a call to get out of your seat, do not hesitate. Don't let fear hold you in your seat. Don't let fear hold you back from the miracle that God has for you. Be obedient to his spirit. I know some of you in here tonight are already stirring up inside. Some of you are on the precipice of a breakthrough. Some of you have been struggling and, and, and hurting and going through all kinds of things waiting for this breakthrough. And tonight it can be yours. So let me just preface this message with that. Um, the message I have is called Give No Place. You know, when we were born again, we, a lot of things changed. We were changed into a new creature in Christ Jesus. Our sin and our past was gone. And our mind is in the process of being renewed. We didn't get new bodies, obviously. Those are on layaway. I've been asking him if I could get, you know, can I redeem some of that now? He's like, no, you got to wait to come get it. <laughs> so for now, we got these bodies, but we will get new bodies someday. But one thing that doesn't change when you are born again is your will, your ability to choose. That's what separates us from the animal kingdom, our ability to choose. The Lord said, I set before you this day life and blessings, death and cursing. Therefore, you choose, choose life. So we as humans, we have a choice, our choice to serve him. Ephesians 4.27 says, leave no such room or foothold for the devil. Give no opportunity to him. The enemy does not take ground in our lives. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he cannot take any ground in your life. We give him ground. You know, I often hear a lot of times believers and people within the church saying, oh, I'm coming against the enemy and he was really battling me today. Well, coming against someone presumes that you're on the same field, you're on the same level. In the military terms, it'd be on the battlefield. You're on the, but we as believers, we have the higher ground. We should be saying when we come upon the enemy. I've got a friend, he's on our, on our team. He spent 18 years in the special forces. And he said the thing about the special forces is they have force multiplication. They call it a force multiplier. A small number of men exhibit an extreme amount of violence and they can take on men and defeat men that are four times their size. And I was like, that's a good picture of the way we should be. 
We should come on the enemy with extreme violence. We should come upon him because he can't come against us because he's not on the same level ground that we are. So this was a command of the church. He says, give no place. And well, the, the, the way we fail in this area is we don't, first is our spiritual fitness. You gotta be strong. Your spirit man needs food. We have to feed our spirits on a daily basis. I don't know about y'all, but this man here don't miss too many meals. All right? I got a lot of things to do in order to work out and stay healthy and keep going. I got to fuel this thing. And it's the same thing with our spirits. Our spirits need the word of God. It needs the word. We need prayer. We need communion. We need it on a daily basis. I mean, if I, if I just say, oh, I'm going to skip, uh, I'm going to skip eating for a couple days, you know, my body's going to be making some noise. I may have fits of carnality. My wife calls me hangry. She knows when I haven't had no food, she says, you get very hangry. And I say, yep. But how is it we can go days without feeding our spirits? We have to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We have to keep our spiritual fitness up there. You know, they say that disease, a lot of disease in America today is not from the lack of nutrition because we live in the greatest country on the face of the planet. We got access to some of the best food. But the reason for disease is the assimilation of the nutrition contained in the food. Is that we don't absorb a lot of the nutrients that is in our food because we eat too fast. Now, you know, my definition of fasting is a little different than the biblical definition because I eat very fast. <laughs> and I have to slow down to chew my food so that your body can absorb the most of the nutrients in there. It's the same thing with the realm of the spirit and our spirits. We need to chew and meditate on the word of God. We need to meditate on it until it comes alive in our hearts, until it jumps up in us, until it becomes part of us. I mean, I'm not against getting up and doing daily devotions. That's good. And church is certainly good. But we can't come here. It's like if, you, if we came here and this is all the food I could get for the whole week, I'd be looking for church every day <laughs> because I need food. So we have to keep ourselves spiritually fit. 1 John 2.14, this is in the Amplified Bible. I write to you, fathers, because you have come to know, recognize, be conscious of, and understand him who has existed from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and vigorous, and the word of God is always abiding in your hearts. And you have been victorious over the wicked one. Overcoming the wicked one is a direct result of the word of God abiding in our hearts. It's not memorized in our, in our stored banks. It is abiding and alive in our hearts. What is abiding in us controls 72 to 96% of our behavior. 72 to 96% of our behavior that we do on a daily basis happens without our conscious awareness. It happens out of our subconscious. I'll use driving as an example. When you first started to learn how to drive, you were what they call consciously incompetent. 
You didn't know how to do anything except for listen to the instructor and your brakes were like this. And I mean, it was, it was a chore. It was multitasking. It was overwhelming. But then after time, repetition, 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 now you can drive like it's an extension of you. You ever been driving down the road, talking on the phone, and you don't even realize it, but you got to your destination? You don't even remember how you got there? That's because it is re- it's a repetition. It's a habit. And we need to make the word a habit in our lives. We need to have the word abiding in us, and we have to have habitual action on the word. When we come up against a situation, our first response, it ought to be unconscious. We do what the word says. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. If we quote the word but act in opposition to the word, it's not reached a place of abiding in us yet. Romans 6.16, do you not know that if you continually surrender yourselves to anyone to do his will, you are the slaves of him whom you obey? Whether that be to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness, right doing, and right standing with God. 2 Peter 2.19, also in the Amplified. They promise them liberty, and when they themselves are slaves of depravity, by, for by whatever anyone is defeated and overcome, to that person, thing, philosophy, or concept, he is continually enslaved. The reason, if you're a believer, if you're a son or a daughter of the living God, and there's an area that the enemy has dominion in your life, the reason is is because we allow it, because we've surrendered, because reality is we are seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We've been given authority over powers, principalities, and every name that can be named, whether in heaven and earth or below the earth. So there is no reason the enemy should have any place in our life unless we give it to him, unless we've surrendered it to him. 1 John 2.15, do not love or cherish the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. Anytime we have affection for the things of the world. Now, we can enjoy things of the world. I think I spoke about that last time, about the sports, so you all know how I feel about sports. There's nothing demonic about it. (laughs) But if you love sports more than you love Jesus or time in the Word, you got an issue. That entertainment, whatever you entertain in your mind, soon takes control of the rest of your life. Whatever you habitually meditate on, becomes a habit and becomes a dominant force in your life. And that could be a philosophy, a person, a thing, or a concept, whatever you surrender to. So I want to take the the body of this message is in 1 Samuel chapter 15. It's a very familiar story in the scripture about King Saul. And we're going to look at how bondage begins how bondage sets itself in the life of a believer. 1 Samuel 15, 3, this is in the Amplified Bible. Now go and strike Amalek and completely destroy everything that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, 
oxen, sheep, camel, and donkey. God's the first one that said, kill them all. <laughs> Jump down to verse 8 and 9. He captured Agag, the king of the Amicalites, alive, though he totally destroyed all the rest of the people with the sword. Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and everything that was good, and they were not willing to destroy them entirely. But everything that was undesirable or worthless, they destroyed completely. Hop down verse 12. When Samuel got up early in the morning to meet Saul, he was told, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up for himself a monument commemorating his victory. Then he turned and went out and went to Gilgal. And then in verse 13 through 15, we read, So Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amicalites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we have destroyed completely. And then verse 17 through 19, and Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amicalites, until they are all dead? Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? In verses 20 through 25, but I did listen to the Lord, Saul answered. He sent me on a mission and I went. I captured King Agag and destroyed his nation. All the animals were going to be destroyed anyway. That's why the army brought the best sheep and cattle to Gilgal and sacrifices to the Lord your God. Notice he's not saying the Lord, our God. Tell me, Samuel said, does the Lord really want sacrifices and offerings? No, he doesn't want your sacrifices. He wants you to obey him. Rebelling against God or disobeying him because you are proud is just as bad as worshiping idols or asking them for advice. You refuse to do what God told you, so God has decided that you can't be king. Saul says, I have sinned. I disobeyed both you and the Lord. Now, some people, I know for myself, when I first started studying Saul and David, I noticed something. I'm like, Saul, you know, he, uh, his transgressions were small compared to David's. You know, the whole murder and adultery thing, and he uses power. I mean, that, that's Saul. He, he basically did almost everything God told him, but he missed it on a few little details. But the difference was, is that Saul admitted he sinned, but David repented for his sin. There's a big difference between admitting you're sinning and repenting for your sin. Basically, he was confronted by Samuel with all the evidence, and then he finally had to come to the conclusion and admit that, yes, I've sinned. And he said, I sinned against you and God. He didn't sin, sin against the messenger. He, 
He sinned against God. And then here's the reason. I was afraid of the army, and I listened to them instead. Please forgive me and come back with me so I can worship the Lord. Basically, he's saying, okay, I was afraid. That's the real deal. I was scared. We got to the heart of the issue. And we see from the beginning, if you read back in other chapters, that Saul had a very low self-esteem of himself. His self-image was very weak. And some would say, well, why would God choose somebody with a low self-image? Well, God didn't choose, the people did. Because if you remember, Israel was crying out to the Lord for a king, and God wasn't having anything to do with it. He wanted to be their only king. But they were looking at the nations next to him and see that they have a king, and they're like, man, we want a king too. And we want a king like that. And Saul, as you know, was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He was bigger, he was stronger. And so God says, okay, if that's what you want, I'll give you one. And he gave them exactly what they wanted. Somebody who was big on the outside, but small on the inside. And then if you remember when the Lord sent Samuel to choose David in Jesse's household, they didn't even consider him a candidate because they left him out with the animals while his brothers were in there. And Samuel even fell under the the deception of, oh, this must be him. He's the tallest and the best. Look, God does not look at your outward appearance. He looks at your inward appearance. He doesn't care about our accomplishments. He doesn't care about our gifts. He doesn't care about any of that. He only cares about our heart, where our hearts are with him. If you have a low opinion or a low self-esteem, I guarantee you are always considering and concerned about the opinions of others. 1 Samuel 15, 23, this is in the modern English version. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. The scripture says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Now today in the church and in our culture, when we think of rebellion, we may think of you know, one percenter motorcycle gangs or gangster rap or bank robbers or people like that. Those are real, that's real rebellion. Or drinking or smoking or drugs, that, that, that's real rebellion. But the Lord says, if I give you a command, if he gives you something, if he gives you an instruction or you find something in the word that lights up to you and you say, I should do that, and you don't do it, and you ignore it and walk away and you fail to do it, the scripture says that's the same as if you drew a pentagram and lit black candles and called on evil spirits to come into your life. It's witchcraft. Disobedience and rebellion is witchcraft. It opens wide the door for the enemy. Let me, let me tell you this. There's no neutral ground in the realm of the spirit. Nobody can take a neutral ground. You're either on the side of the wicked one or you're on the side of the Lord. And we give place to him when we disobey the Lord. We give him place. We give him opportunity. We give him ground. We give him an opening in our life. Any area of our life that is not submitted to the king of heaven is by default submitted to the God, small g, of this world. 
We are to give no place to fear. Fear is the motive, rebellion is the action. Whenever you see somebody in rebellion, fear is the root cause of it. Fear breeds rebellion. Fear is to the kingdom of darkness what faith is to the kingdom of heaven. Job 3.25 in the ESV, for the thing that I fear comes upon me and what I dread befalls me. What you fear, you bring near. Fear is a connector and faith is a connector. Fear connects you to the demonic realm. Faith connects you to the heavenly realm. Fear opens up doors for demonic activity in your life. Faith opens up doors for angelic activity in your life. I don't know about y'all, but I'd rather have angels messing around in my life. (laughs) I need them. I I put my angels to work a lot. (laughs) Don't laugh, you do too. (laughs) Fear stops forward movement. Fear paralyzes. You know, the Conquerors International Strength Team, we do a lot of traveling. We've been to 36 countries all over this planet. Matter of fact, Friday, I'm going for my eighth time to the nation of the Philippines. A couple of years ago, we had an opportunity to go back and return to Albania. We had been there one time. We had met this pastor uh, in, in London through our connection with One Hope. And he said, man, you got to come over to our nation. Our nation is hungry for the gospel. They would love guys like you. And so after talking, we forged a real good bond and a relationship. And so we went over there the first time. And this is a 96% Muslim country, but it's a secular Muslim country. It's kind of like people are Muslim because they were raised that way. They're not really devout. There's maybe about 20% that are seriously hardcore devout. So it's a a um, neo-secular Muslim country. So we go over there, and this pastor has a He's got influence not only in his country, but in all the countries surrounding. And he gets us on this TV show, The Free Zone. And so we're on this TV show, and this is the biggest TV show in all of Albania and in four other countries around it. And it's even aired in Italy. So we got an audience of literally millions of people, and we're sharing the gospel. I'm sharing my story, sharing the gospel. And there was this Muslim guy. He was in his apartment. He was in drug debt and and strung out, and he was ready to kill himself that night, and he turned on the TV, he heard the gospel, he had an encounter with the Lord, he gave his life to Christ, and he showed up that Sunday at Pastor Akil's church. He brought his family with him, and then his family gave his life to the Lord, who were all devout Muslims, and it was a phenomenal thing. And we were just sitting there going, man, this is one story that we know of. How many other ones are known? How many of you know the enemy doesn't like what we're doing? He does not, he's not happy with us. Who cares? Who cares? So we're going, a couple years ago, we get to return to Albania, and we're going to have this guy, Rial. He's going to be on the same show with us, only he's going to be giving his testimony about how we were there last time. So it was going to, and we were going to hit prisons, and it was going to be another phenomenal time of ministry. So we get out of the airport, and our friend Annie Dina picks us up, from the airport, and we're driving down the road, and he says, by the way, I got to tell you, we've been having a little trouble in our country. I was like, oh, really? What's that? He says, well, the president got voted out, and he was the mafia's president. 
And they're not too happy about that. I said, oh, yeah, really? Well, how are they express, expressing their displeasure? Through car bombings. And I said, oh, really? How many of them go on? Oh, about one a day. Oh, cool. <laughs> and me and my teammate were sitting in the back. We look at each other. And, uh, you know, you, you, when you've traveled all over the place, you've, you've been... See, I spent 11 years in prison, so I was used to danger. And uh, so we get to our hotel, and we're sitting in there. And all of a sudden, because we're two blocks down from the government headquarters... This is like Washington, D.C. for Albania. And boom, a car bomb goes off, and the whole hotel shook. I mean, it was like it rocked the whole hotel. And I'm sitting there, and I could feel a spirit of fear come into my room. And my teammate walks in, and his eyes are about this big. And he says, man, I don't know if I signed up for this. And out of my spirit flowed these words. The Lord did not call us to Albania to get blown up by a car bomb. Trust me, he shows me things to come. I do not have the martyrs calling on my life, and you don't either. He's called us here to win souls. That's what we're going to do, and we ain't worried about car bombs. And sure enough, every night, like clockwork, boom. I says, man, can they do that in the morning? You know, that would be a good alarm effect. <laughs> fear was attempting to paralyze us. If we would have given in to that spirit of fear, we could have been taking it to the extreme and said, nope, I'm not risking my life for nothing. I'm going home. Or we could have been, oh, and we could have, we could have literally lost our lives. Literally. But then there's another time a few years back where there's a nation that's calling on the conquerors to go over there. And this nation, I'm not going to name it, but this nation, I didn't have any, any good feeling in my spirit about it. There was, nothing, there was nothing from the Lord saying, don't go or anything. I just, I just wasn't feeling that, that country. You know, it wasn't because of news reports. No, I just wasn't feeling it. And one of my teammates, he really, he, he says, I got a heart. I want to reach this country. And so for me, I started thinking within myself, well, if I don't let him go, then he's going to think if I don't have anything in it, the Lord can't work. You know, all this stuff started going through my head. And you know what I did? Instead of listening to my conscience, I compromised. I said, yeah, go, 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 go ahead. Yeah, and he's all excited. And he goes to this nation, and it was a flop. It was like two people who got born again. Some people might say, hey, that's two people. All right, but at the cost, we could have got two people in our backyard. All right? <laughs> cost money to go to these countries. We went $5,000 in debt the first time in the history of our ministry. Our ministry does not do debt. It was the first time. And he came back, and it was, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I compromised because I was afraid of what he or the other team members would think about me. Now, we may not face car bombs every day. We may not face big danger like that, but we face the fear of man on a daily basis. On a daily basis, we're always, we're always confronted with the fear of man. Fear of what others think gives others control over your life. You yield your destiny to other people. Let that sink in for just a minute. 
When you get a prompting from the Holy Spirit and you know you're supposed to do something, but enters into your thoughts, what about so-and-so? What will they think? Will they think I'm a crazy Bible thumper? Well, you are a crazy Bible thumper. They'll only be thinking the truth. (laughs) You yield ground. And whenever you disobey the Lord because of the fear of another person's opinion, you open the door for the enemy into your life. Matthew 10, 28, English Standard Version. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Proverbs 29, 25, the message version. The fear of human opinions disables. Trusting God protects you from that. Isaiah 51, 7, NIV version. Hear me, you who know what is right, you people who have taken my instruction to heart. Do not fear the reproach of mere mortals or be terrified of their insults. Fear causes compromise. When the fear, when the, when the voice of people are louder than the voice of the Lord in your life, you got an issue. Got a serious issue. You know, I I was talking to Pastor Al before and I was just like, you know, I am the best preacher on the face of the planet. In his eyes, I am. Because that's what he called me to be. And so in God's eyes, I'm the best. God's wallet, he's got my picture in it. Because I'm his boy. Now to y'all, I know know you'd have a differing opinion. That's okay. (laughs) But the opinion that matters the most or should matter the most is his opinion. If he's called you to do something, you are the best at what you're called at because you're not doing it in your power, you're doing it through his strength. But then we get into all this and I'm not as good and I'm not as that. It's not about our ability, it's about his ability in us and through us. You know, I I was in Jackson prison. Many of you know my story, I spent 11 years in prison my first five for an armed bank robbery or legal withdrawal from a financial institution. And I got out. Not much changed. I went right back into crime. I went into prison the second time. I was facing life. Only did six years. I got born again. God radically set me on fire. And I, I preached my very first sermon ever at Jackson State Prison, the big house. And it was on the anointing. And I had 40 guys in my church service. And I got up there and man, I prayed and I fasted and I prayed in tongues for the long. I mean, I'm in my cell all the time. I ain't got nothing else to do. So I was in there praying in the Holy Ghost over this thing. And when I, by the time I got in there, I thought I was going to float in there. And I preached on the anointing, and the guys, I mean, they were in, man. They were in. They were eating up every word. And I gave an altar call, and 12 people gave their lives to Christ. I was like, yes, bang, yeah. Then afterward, this guy comes up to me, and he's a, uh, let's say he's of the dispensationalist side of the uh, theological um, upbringing. And so he wanted to argue with me about the things I was 
speaking about. And it really became, I was very tempted to get in the flesh. I almost had a fit of carnality. You know, it says lay hands on no man suddenly. I was going to do it slow and methodically. (laughs) So then next week, the Lord puts on my heart to do a message on healing. And so I'm preparing my message and I'm getting it all ready. And then I'm thinking about this guy. I know he's going to be there. Dang, I'm going to have to put up with him. And this is, so you know what I did? I changed my message up. The parts that I knew he'd contend with me on, I, I, I admitted them. You know what happened? I went in there. Guys were distracted, looking around, falling asleep, gave an altar call. Nobody got saved. Nothing happened. I was devastated, devastated. I went in my cell. I'm like, oh, God, why'd you leave me? What's going to happen? And he said, son, look, he's got to be direct with me. I'm the type of person you got to be direct with me. He says, the next time I give you something to speak, you speak it or you don't get my anointing. Yes, sir. Amen. From that day forward, if he gives me a message to speak, I'm going to speak it. I love y'all, but your opinion doesn't matter. It's his opinion. Y'all love me. My opinion shouldn't matter. His should be the opinion that matters the most. Saul, fear causes comparison. Saul compared himself. Why did he spare the king? So he could go marching back into Israel with this king and say, see, I'm I'm the man. He built a monument to himself. He had the other king, he spared him so he could go back because this was a man with a low self-image. He was trying to prove himself instead of prove the God of heaven. And so he wanted the king to go marching through and say, yeah, yeah, who's the man now, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. Why did he spare the stuff that he was going to sacrifice for the Lord? Money. Comparison automatically puts you in a position of either inferiority or superiority. That means whenever you compare yourself with another person, you automatically put yourself in a place either above that person I'm better than them, I'm better, I can do better than them, I'm better looking, I got more money, I got this, I can do this. Or you put yourself in a position of inferiority. Well, I'll never be like that person. Oh, man, they got it made. Oh, I'm never gonna be this. There's no inferiority or superiority in Christ. There's only you. Our fingerprints are different. No one in the face of this planet has the same fingerprint as I do, and no one has the same fingerprint as you do. And if God did that on our flesh, which we're going to turn in for a new body someday, how much more has he put a spiritual fingerprint on us? That we are uniquely created for a purpose that only you can fulfill. Nobody else on the face of the planet can fulfill what God's called you to fulfill. Nobody. So don't compare yourself to anybody else. Trust me, as a speaker, it's, 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 a, it's a, you know, it's, I'm like, man, that guy, man, he, he don't even have to look at his nose, he, you know, but it doesn't matter. Don't compare yourself to other people. Fear makes us slaves to our own securities and possessiveness. 
You can be set in your, your ways, which is stubbornness, or set in his ways. The antidote to fear is found in 1 John 4.18. This is in the New King James Version. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. This is it in the, the Living Bible translation. We need have no fear of someone who loves us perfectly. His perfect love for us eliminates all dread of what he might do to us. If we are afraid, it is for fear of what he might do to us and shows that we are not fully convinced that he really loves us. Basically what it's saying that is if we fear, we're not fully convinced of God's unconditional love for us. Because if you know that the God of the universe loves you no matter what you do or what you don't do, you can do all the greatest works, you can do all the preaching, you can do all the witnessing, do, 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 and you can fail to do things, it's all a bunch of do, do. What he wants is your obedience. And he wants it out of an intimate relationship. Fear destroys intimacy. You won't let anybody see into you and you won't be able to see into anybody else if you got full of fear. Into me see. But when you know that you're perfectly loved by the Father just the way you are, all your hang-ups, all your weaknesses, all your mess-ups, your past, everything, God loves you. There's not anything you can do to make him love you anymore and there's not anything you can fail to do to make him love you any less. He fearfully and wonderfully created you and he loves you. And a love is a powerful power. It's the most powerful force in the universe. What fear is, is everything Satan is. Satan's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Fear steals, kills, and destroys. God doesn't have love. He is love. Love is the most powerful force. And I know in, in today's culture... You know, there, there's some segments of the body of Christ that's taking the love thing and it's kind of it's flown into a hippie thing, you know, where it's all love, lovey-dovey and feelings and stuff, but love has violence to it too. Just saying. You try messing with one of my kids, you're going to see love. You ain't going to like the way it looks. Guarantee you won't like the results. But the motive for that will be love. If I'm walking through the park with my son Riley and I see a head because I'm taller than him and I see a head and I see a pit and there's vipers in there, I'm gonna stop him right there and I'm gonna say, Riley, I don't want you to go up near that pit over there because it's full of vipers and they can, they can hurt you and, and they can... And he's going to look up at me and he's going to be, all right, dad, he's going to trust me. He's going to listen to what I say and he's going to avoid it. It doesn't matter if his friend Tommy, Joey, and everybody else comes up and says, hey, we're over by this pit and there's these things in there and they're, they're, they're squirming around. We ought to go check them out. Come on. No, no, my dad told me to stay away from that. I'm going to stay away from that. But if my son did the opposite and when I wasn't looking, he went over there and played and got bit by a viper, 
and got poison in his veins and came running to me, dad, 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 I got bit by a viper, I wouldn't sit there and go, you should have listened to me, son. Now you're in trouble. Now you're gonna have to see what that poison does. You're gonna have to deal with that because I told you not to. Fear has a sense of impending judgment. We mess up, we don't wanna go to God because we're afraid he's gonna be mad at us. Let me tell you, I'll be sucking stuff out of my son, I'll be doing everything I can to get that poison out of my kid. And I'm just a man. My love is fallible. I'll lay my life down for my kids, but I'm not giving my kids up for you or anybody else. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should have life and life everlasting. He demonstrated who he was through the cross of Jesus Christ in Calvary. Our obedience is the ultimate form of worship. We can come in here, we can sing great songs, great anointed worship. The spirit of the Lord can be in here. We can have our hands lifted high, singing. But if we're not obedient to the Lord, our worship is filthy rags in his sight. It doesn't mean anything. What really lights God's fire is when we are obedient to him. Because when we open up the door of our hearts through obedience, we open it up to the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit. We loose angels in our behalf. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, if you're up here 